With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello everyone, I am of course your host Lance Glenn and this is episode 47 of the On The Banks podcast, our game for Rutgers football preview. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11 and of course you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. There are many ways to listen to this episode and every episode of the On The Banks podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast and Stitcher, just search On The Banks podcast. And of course, you can find all of our podcasts and so much more great content by going to onthebanks.com. I am so excited to bring you episode 47. I will be joined on an all SB Nation episode by the managing editor for On The Banks, Aaron Brightman, and by the site producer for Michigan's SB Nation site, Maze and Brew, Anthony Broom. So over the last week, there has been a lot of talk about the future of head coach Chris Ash, and I thought, hey... Everyone else is sharing their opinion. I want to share mine. The loss to Boston College was most certainly, I think, the end of the Chris Ash era. Now, of course, he will be coaching this Saturday against Michigan and may still man the helm for a few more games after, maybe even the rest of the season. But let's be real. The Chris Ash era is over at Rutgers. I think that it's pretty obvious, barring a miracle. And frankly, I believe his time as the head coach should come to an end as well before the season ends. Now, this is nothing against Chris Ash. It just, I don't think, makes any sense to keep him for the rest of the year. As I said, really barring a miracle, it's inevitable that he is in his final season as the head coach. So what's the point of having him finish the last eight games after this one against Michigan? It's no secret that he's most likely gone, so he really can't recruit. He can throw offers out to individual prospects, but be real, who would commit to a head coach that is going to be done at Rutgers very soon? You know, as a parent... How could you advise your kid to commit somewhere that may not have a permanent head coach in the near future? Now, sure, in the world of college football today, where coaches leave all the time and go to different programs, kids should really commit to the school, not necessarily the coach. But even if a kid loves Rutgers, would he want to join a program that right now may or may not have a long-term leader? Chris Ash, you know, I'm sure he gave all uh, he gave his all to Rutgers the last four years, and I'm sure will hook on with a program as a defensive coordinator soon after his time on the banks ends. But it's simple. The time to move on is now, not two months from now, right this instant. You make John McNulty the interim head coach, have him finish out the year, and begin the hiring process immediately. Who should they hire? Well, that will be widely debated until someone new is brought in, if someone new is brought in. But just because we may disagree, that doesn't mean I care any more or less, or you care any more or less about Rutgers football. At the end of the day, we all want to see this program succeed. We just have different beliefs on who the right person to progress it is. And frankly, that's okay. Embrace the healthy debate that is to come, because it's going to come more and more as the weeks go by. 
Nobody is wrong. Nobody is right. We all just have our own opinions. But at the end of the day, we all have the same end goal. We just want to see progress and we just ultimately want to see success here on the banks. We want to see a coach come in and make Rutgers relevant again, not in any negative ways like the last few years, but in positive ways going forward the year after, the year after, and the year after. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. Joining me to discuss the future of the 1-2 and two Scarlet Knights and where the program goes from here is the managing editor for our great site, the leader of On the Banks, Aaron Brightman. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and giving me some time tonight. Thanks for having me again, Lance, and uh, looking forward to it. So, Aaron, let's start with this past weekend. Rutgers lost 30-16 to at home against Boston College, but there was one positive that came out of that loss, and that was the play of Art Sitkowski. You know, he had his best game as a Scarlet Knight, and he looked like the player we all hope he can one day eventually become for this team. You know, I know Chris Ash has already said Art will start against Michigan with McLean Carter still not yet cleared, and of course, there is that redshirt looming. This will be game three for Art, and the Max maximum in order to be redshirted is four games. With all that being considered, plus his play against Boston College, do you think now, just going forward, Art should be the guy, even if McLean Carter is able to come back healthy? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, you have to be happy for the kid after everything he's gone through to see how he played last week. Uh, Obviously, some encouraging signs. Definitely um, some positive development there. Uh, and I think at this point, you know, um, at one and two with, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to be optimistic about this team. Why wouldn't you play him the rest of the season, get as much experience as you can? Uh, um, you know, if you can continue to take steps that he showed on Saturday um, and there, there are some steps he still needs to take. I think that, you know, uh, he did he did uh, take what the defense gave him. I think McNulty had a good game plan for him. He didn't ask him to do too much. Um, but when we're talking about winning football games, um, you know, they still didn't do enough. Uh, you know, three field goals in the red zone. Obviously, penalties killed them, too. Um, but when the offense can't make big plays, which, you know, uh, isn't, a, isn't a knock on Sarkowski. He really wasn't asked to make any big throws. Um, but that's got to be the next phase of his development. He's got to be able to make that big, big pass in the passing game because what, what you saw with the Rutgers against Boston College, if you can't make the big play and you can't run in the red zone, which they could not at all, they really couldn't run all day, um, you're not going to score enough points to win. And I think that's that's the issue here. Um, but I think, yeah, for what he was asked to do, it was a great thing to see. I think there's no reason to hold him back. I think also they need to be a little more aggressive in his game, um, what they're asking him to do in games now. I think it's time to, you know, uh, the, there really can't be any easing in. You're going into the big house. If you want to win the game, you got to make big plays. And I think you, at this point, you know, let's, uh, let's see what he can do. You know, it was good to see Art show his ability, and especially since the usual strength of this offense was unable to really get going against Boston College. You mentioned it. Rutgers only ran for 76 yards on the day, which was surprising to say the least considering the talent in the backfield. Why do you think the Scarlet Knights struggled so much to move the ball on the ground, and what do you think they should do differently to get back on track Saturday against Michigan in that area? Well, I think you know it's it's um, it, it's there's no magic potion, unfortunately, and I think that it, it, we've talked about it before. But in, in the Big Ten, it's all about uh, the battle of the trenches, and I think the offensive line, you know, I, I they ha- certainly haven't been awful, um, but they haven't been able to generate uh, enough um, space for in the run game. You know, they really couldn't get much push on the Boston College defensive line, and uh, you know, Pacheco really didn't have a lot of opportunities to to, to find space 
to run through. And I think um, the short passing game, obviously, you know, I think they were hoping that that would open some things up. Uh, the Blackshear touchdown, that was a great read and throw by Sikowski. But if you can't run consistently, you're going to struggle on offense. And I think that going into Michigan, um, it's going to be a tall task. I think the offensive line, you know, I think I think one thing that really hurts them in the run game is the lack of a tight end. I think Alimo has been um, pretty good for a true freshman, excuse me, redshirt freshman. Um, but, you know, he needs to put on some weight uh, and develop over time. But I think that lack of depth in tight end, you know, especially running uh, running from the outside, they don't have that presence there in the run game. And I think they're really missing it. You know, before we talk about the future of this program, because there is a lot to unpack there, I want to quickly discuss, uh, and you mentioned that as well, the undisciplined penalties that seem to happen each week. You know, 11 penalties for 100 yards against Rutgers in Saturday's game. These gaudy penalty numbers, they seem to happen every week, and through the three games, this team right now is averaging just over 80 penalty yards per game. Obviously, the players are the ones on the field committing the infractions, but do you believe the blame for these penalties is more of a shared blame between not only the players, but the coaching staff as well? Definitely, and I think, you know, I would even lean more towards the coaching staff, to be honest with you. I think um, a lack of discipline is, is you have to point to coaching. And I think the fact that um, I think the 25 or 26 penalties through three games, um, you know, and if you want to throw in turnovers too, they have eight turnovers in three games. If you think about it, I mean, they played a good team in Iowa. They played an average team in Boston College, uh, and they played a, the, arguably the worst FBS team um, in the country in, in UMass. And you have 25 or 26 penalties and eight turnovers. Um, that's awful. And that's, that's losing football. And that's why... Um, I think, you know, some people were maybe some surprised, some of the more optimistic Rutgers fans were surprised about the uh, negativity that came from the loss uh, on Saturday. You know, they yes, they are only one and two, but I think in the context of the Ash era, um, I think most of us see the writing on the wall and that things aren't getting better in, in, in areas that really reflect coaching. Um, and the fact that they've actually gotten worse this season um, in terms of penalties is, is certainly a red flag. And um, it's uh, it, you're never going to win football games if you shoot yourself in the foot with so many mistakes. And they have a, a knack for doing it in key situations. So let's talk about where this program goes from here. They sit at 1-2, and two, and while the season, it is far from over game-wise, still 9 left. It seems like it's become inevitable that the Chris Ash era may soon be ending at Rutgers. I think the only question people have really is no longer if, but when. In your mind, do you think he lasts the rest of the year as a change made midseason? You know, what do you think should happen with Chris Ash going forward? Well, I wrote after the game on Saturday that uh, it, the time is now. Um, you know, do I think that that's going to happen? No, I don't think they're going to get rid of him yet. Um, but I think the odds of him making it to the season, end of the season, um, from just a pure perception standpoint, I think uh, I, I can't see that happening. I think things are just going to only get kind of uglier as, as the year goes on with the fan base. Um, you know, I mean, for, for less than 20,000 fans to turn out at home against Boston College, a regional rival, old biggies foe, um, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, that's I mean, it's abysmal. It's awful. I mean, even just a few years ago, you go back to 2015 with Flood. I mean, I remember the Washington State, you know, home opener. I mean, the anticipation, the excitement that was around the program then. I mean, it is completely gone, completely gone. And I think you're going to see even less fans for Maryland, which should be another huge game, important game. You know, there's there's really a lack of enthusiasm right now. Then you have homecoming after that. 
uh, at, you know, two weeks later, you have Indiana, then you have Minnesota at home. You know, it's 150th anniversary. You have all these uh, special halftime ceremonies planned at every game. I mean, it's it's going to get to a point where, you know, they have to address it. They can't just go week after week and not say anything. Hobbs is going to have to address it at some point. And that's why I think the momentum is going to continue to build here. It, listen, maybe, maybe they go out, you know, maybe they, they play Michigan really hard. Maybe they somehow beat Maryland, um, and who knows? But I, I think for any for the fan base at this point, and for momentum to shift in in the positive for Ash, he really needs to sweep October. He needs to win all four of those games, and then Illinois the first week of of, uh, of November. Uh, otherwise, I can't you know win here, win there, which. To be honest, I don't think it's very likely at this point. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just too much has happened. Um, we're too far down that road, I think, where it just feels hopeless. Um, and I can't see this going past, you know, if, if Ash makes it to November, to be honest, I'd be surprised. And do you think there may even be a negative to that? Because I look at it as Chris Ash right now, I believe, is, is just a lame duck head coach. He really can't recruit because... It's kind of common knowledge that he most likely won't be back next season, barring really a miracle. And with a potentially a new coach and a new staff in place, wouldn't it make sense in your mind to get rid of Chris Ash, try to bring in a new coach and a new staff as quickly as you can, have them recruit and have them start to build those relationships? Because the longer you wait, the longer Chris Ash is head coach, the less time that new staff is going to have to really assert themselves at Rutgers and assert themselves with the players and the recruits that are going to be coming in. I, excellent point. I think that's very true. I think the early signing period certainly complicates decisions now. Um, the fact that it is in early December gives a, a potential coaching change even less time uh, with the season ending at the end of November. Um, I, I think, yeah, in a perfect world, that scenario would work. But but I even think at this point, you know, even if you're – first of all, we know Hobbs uh, had a week basically to make that decision when he hired Ash. Not that he should be off the hook because of that time frame. But, uh, yeah, making a move soon gives them, you know, the freedom to really take some time on the search. Um, but I think just the air around the program uh, from the fans' perspective, you know, I, listen, you have to feel for the players right now. This can't be a fun environment. Um, and, and, honestly, I think a big failure of the Ash uh, era is his, uh, with all due respect to him, his lack of ability to relate to the players, to the fan base, um, the human element of things, I think has been sorely lacking. Um, you know, he talked about uh, in his interviews and um, when he was hired about having, you know, folders upon folders of, uh, you know, notes from all his, his, his stops along the way. But I really think that, you know, you can't, you can't be taught how to relate to players, how to motivate and inspire a team. And it's not there. And I don't think it's ever going to be there. And I think for, for that reason alone, you know, to, hey, let, appoint John McNulty. What do you have to lose? You know, give him the team the rest of the season and, and let's see what ha- what happens. Um, in an ideal world, yeah, you hire a staff. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, the, we still have two plus three months left in the season. So a lot of qualified candidates aren't going to be available. Um, and, and in terms of putting together a staff. But, yes, in a perfect world, if you could identify a head coach, have him ready to go uh, and recruit for two months before the early signing period, that would be ideal. Um, right now, you know, the recruiting class is ranked 89th in the country for 24-7 sports. So uh, that's a nightmare. Uh, it's not even close to where they need to be to ever be able to compete in the Big Ten. So I think just from a perception-wise, uh, I, I think making a move sooner rather than later is a must. 
And, you know, we keep talking about the fan base and how important is that fan base? Because you talked about how in the game against Boston College, maybe 15, definitely not 20,000 people there. Michigan State is coming to Piscataway. Ohio State is coming to Piscataway. These teams travel very well. And I think if Chris Ash continues to stay on, you're going to see Ohio State fans pack the place. Michigan State fans pack the place. Is that going to be what potentially is the difference maker for Pat Hobbs in making a move during the season? Just seeing high, uh, excuse me, SHI Stadium filled with opposing fans? I think it certainly doesn't help. I think... Um... You know, I, I think right now we're, we're in the stage of anger. I think fans are angry. Uh, I think they have a right to be. Um, you know, we were just talking about it before we came on, but I, I, I did tweet something last night about, you know, uh, there's, there's a certain faction that feels like, you know, if you're negative about the team, negative about the program and about the coach, you know, you're being a bad fan. I, I think it's the opposite. I think it's important to express our frustration. I think it's it's the power that fans have, um, you know, to it, when the change is warranted to speak up and say something. And I think the danger that Hobbs and the administration run in is what you don't want it to turn into is apathy. When people stop caring, when people, you know, when, when people are just indifferent because it's just hopeless um, and the anger goes away and people just tune it out completely, that's what the direction you don't want it to go in. And that's why sending a message and making a statement is important. Uh, and I think if you just drag it out all season and wait till November 28th or whatever it is, I think, you know, of course, winning people will ultimately come back. But you need, you need to make a statement to the fan base sooner rather than later and show them that, yes, this isn't acceptable and we're going to make a change and, and we're going to bring back. Uh, because it re really what we all want at the end of the day is to be proud of the program. And uh, right now we don't have a program we can be proud of. And, and that's got to be the message from Rutgers, from Hobbs, from the administration, uh, that, that we need to get back to that point. So I think the longer you drag it out, the worse it gets. And like I said, the anger will soon shift to apathy, you know. And, yeah, if, if there's 20,000 Ohio State fans, 30,000 Ohio State fans, you know, five Rutgers, 5,000 Rutgers fans, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an embarrassment. Aaron, a couple more before I let you go. I'm worried that this season is turning into last year record-wise where we may see 1-11 and 11 again. Is that on your mind? You know, I know uh, Liberty's on the schedule, Indiana, Minnesota, Illinois, winnable games you would think for Rutgers, but are you starting to worry or get that feeling that 1-11, and 11, you know, may unfortunately happen again? Of course, definitely. I think, um, you know, uh, I, I've written about this before, but, you know, I've, I've been worried about the psyche and the mindset of the players for, you know, uh, since the season began. I think it's a, it's a snowball effect, right? I mean, uh, if you look at it, the last, um, uh, well, every game this season, they've given up a touchdown on the opening drive. They failed to score on the opening drive. So it's like they're constantly climbing uphill. They're constantly in a battle. Uh, to, to, to get even, to, to get, you know, to ever take a lead. I mean, it had the 10-7 lead over BC, but um, it's just at some point, you know, they're going to mentally break. And, and and we saw it at times last season, you know, the Kansas game, even the Buffalo game, where, you know, it, it didn't look like the players ha had had much left uh, in terms of fight. And I think that, you know, we're definitely in the danger of getting to that point. You know, Maryland's going to come into Rutgers and they're going to want to embarrass them. You know, every Big Ten team, they're smelling blood right now. You know, you don't think Harbaugh <laughs> this weekend, I mean, it could get ugly. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely at a danger point. So I think, you know, just as much as the fans, I think for the, for the players' mindsets, for, for, for that well-being, I think, you know, it's important for, for the administration to make the statement. Um, 
and and make a change. But because I think, yeah, if one eleven back to back one eleven seasons, um, you know, obviously the program is about as low of a point as they can be. Um, recruiting is, is 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 really in a bad place right now. So um, I think the longer you wait, uh, the more damage that will be done long term to the program. Aaron, last one. You know, Michigan. Want to uh, head back to this week's uh, sat the Saturday's game? Excuse me. Michigan, obviously, a 29-point favorite, a big favorite at home. They need a win, you know, just as much, really, as Rutgers does, for for different reasons, of course, but they're coming off a big loss to Wisconsin and need to kind of get back um, in that Big Ten title race. They're a 29-point favorite, as I said before. Do you foresee Michigan covering against Rutgers and ultimately coming out of the big house with a win on Saturday? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't mean it to be... Uh... Uh, um, disres- I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it's just we, we have seen nothing that tells us they're going to go to Michigan and put up a fight. Uh, you know, the Iowa game is a perfect example. Um, you know, and I, I think it was the they've lost 15 uh, Power Five uh, games in a row. I think nine of nine of them are by 30 or more points. So going to Michigan, uh, where you know four years ago they lost uh, 49-17, 49-16, and then uh, two years ago they actually put up a decent fight, but still lost by three touchdowns. Um, I can't see this team going in there. And giving them uh, too much of a scare, uh, and I, I think uh, you know, as we see in every game against a Power Five opponent, Rutgers just wears down in the second half. The defense falls apart, and the wheels come off. And I, I, I see no reason why that would be any different this weekend. The managing editor for On the Banks, Aaron Brightman. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. As always, I look forward to having you on again soon. Keep up the great work, and thanks again. He is the site producer for our SB Nation counterparts at the University of Michigan, Maze and Brew. And you can read all his content and more from their great contributors at mazeandbrew.com. I am happy to be joined now by Anthony Broom. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, of course, for giving me some of your time. Of course, anytime. Always happy to help anyone in the SB Nation uh, umbrella of team sites. So glad to be here. So, Anthony, obviously it was a tough weekend for Michigan, losing 35-14 to at Wisconsin. And, you know, like every season for the Wolverines, Michigan fans, they have expectations of a berth in the college football playoffs and, of course, to play for a Big Ten title. With those expectations obviously taking a big hit, what is the mood, the overall feeling of fans in Ann Arbor about the team and, of course, about Jim Harbaugh? Uh, it is a level of doom and gloom that, uh, quite frankly, we haven't felt yet in the Jim Harbaugh era, even as disheartening as, um, you know, last year you talk about how you have aspirations of winning the college football playoff, winning, I mean, just, or not winning it, just getting there, winning the Big Ten East, going to Indy. Um, and obviously they fell short there in pretty historic fashion last year uh, with what happened at Ohio State. But even then, um, that was more skepticism where, what took place this past weekend in Madison at Wisconsin was, um, I think, pretty sobering in terms of, I think the fan base might just be coming to the realization that uh, maybe this program isn't going to be what they thought it was going to be under Jim Harbaugh. Um, it's really uh, as simple as that. I mean, it's almost, you know, people have been saying this for a while, and the record in big games, that that's pretty much a viral thing that comes up every time that Michigan loses a game. Um, but I think even some of the more level-headed defenders of him, uh, my, I would consider myself in that group of people too, um, 
Saturday was very eye-opening for them. And in terms of, like, it's it's one of those things where, uh, you know, talk, you know, transitioning into this week with the game against Michigan and Rutgers, I mean, you know, I tweet out that Michigan is opens as a 29-point favorite in this game this weekend. And there are people, people legitimately that believe, like, that they'll either – struggle mightily and barely walk out with a win or lose, which, you know, given the the recent history of these two teams, that's even with the struggles we've seen from Michigan. Unlikely to say the least. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unlikely to put it nicely. So um, I think that kind of, I mean, there's always kind of loonies in the fan base, but that, that even some of the more level headed people have sort of started to turn is uh, concerning and former players like, like Charles Woodson, Jake Long, Steve Hutchinson, th- those guys coming out kind of, you know, disappointed, embarrassed in the effort. Um, you don't hear from those guys quite like that that often. And that was, you know, like I said, I think the best way for me to put it is it's a pretty sobering weekend for the state of Michigan football. You know, I have friends and family that are Michigan alum. You know, they follow the program closely, and they believe that the Harbaugh era so far, it's been a lot of hype, of course, but hasn't been much substance. I know you mentioned it a little bit in the last answer, but what's your opinion on this program under Jim Harbaugh and the success or maybe even lack thereof so far? Uh, I would say very good, but not great. I mean, Michigan is a program that, like I said, you can't take, and especially like... um, for any school, you can't take a coach that wins nine or 10 games a year for granted. That being said, I think with, like you, like you said before, the hype coming in, um, all the attention that Jim Harbaugh, that Michigan gets the resources they have available. Um, this is one of the most profitable and, you know, quite frankly, they, they pretty much print money out of that athletic department and, and they have the resources. They recruit pretty well. Um, and it's not, you know, I don't know a lot's been made about Jim Harbaugh attacking, you know, maybe the SEC for cheating or, you know, trying to, you know, be an advocate for doing it the right way and playing within the rules. But that's not been what's held Michigan back. They've had some pretty big miscues and pretty big games. Um, you know, 2016, you, if you're able to, you know, you go on the road at Iowa and lose. You lose in double overtime to Ohio State when, you know, you couldn't close out that game on the road up 10 points. Uh, every one of their errors has been self-inflicted. And, and when it happens, for you know, this is year five now, I don't know who else that falls on other than the coach because they've changed assistance. They've, you know, now they're changing offense into this year. Uh, it's just, it's been disappointing. And I think he's, I, I genuinely think Harbaugh's a good guy and a good coach, but um, it started to feel like, he's in a little bit over his head and he doesn't know what to do. Well, I want to talk specifically about positions now and that quarterback position, to be precise. You know, Shea Patterson, I'm sure he had a game he would like to forget. Dylan McCaffrey played, but I believe he's hurt and may not play against Rutgers. What's the state of the quarterback position as the Wolverines try to rebound this Saturday? Yeah, you won't see Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, He was knocked out of of the game with a concussion uh, in Madison. Uh, Harbaugh called him doubtful on Monday, so I, I don't expect we'll see him. Um... Shea Patterson all year has been dealing with some sort of oblique injury that he suffered on the first play of the year against Middle Tennessee. And and even, you know, Michigan maintains that it's an injury that shouldn't be holding him back, and, and he maintains that. But the ball's not coming out quickly. Um, 
you know, the, the passes have been high or wide. The, he's not processing things fast enough. The reads on some of those option plays just haven't been very sound. Um, it's been, quite frankly, kind of a disaster. And it's one of those things where if he's hurt so much that he can't do his job properly, he can't be out there. Now, that said, for the second time in a row when Michigan's played a game in Wisconsin, uh, a couple years ago it was Brandon Peters gets knocked out of the game. They lose him for the rest of that game and then the Ohio State game. This year, you lose Dylan McCaffrey, who uh, took a pretty nasty hit. That's a concussion that I think probably keeps him out for a few weeks. So if ever there was a time to make a quarterback change, it kind of would have been now going into a game against a, you know, you're at home against a team that you're favored by more than four touchdowns by. Um, you know, if there ever was a time for a quarterback change, you would think now would be the time to do it. But um, I guess it still might be possible. Think back to the Michigan Rutgers game a couple weeks or a couple years ago when John O'Corn struggled, and then they brought in Brandon Peters, and that kind of stabilized things, and they were able to win going away. If Shea Patterson struggles in this game this weekend, you might see a Joe Milton, a guy who is a four-star recruit and has a huge arm, someone that they're pretty high on, but still, you know, still needs a lot of work. It's only his second year in the program, so it's it's going to be interesting. I, I honestly, for the first like, you would think by now year five. Harbaugh is a quarterback guy that they would have this quarterback position kind of figured out, and and they don't. And it's not entirely on the quarterback. The offensive line has not been very good. The wide receivers have had a hard time getting open. But uh, you know, top to bottom, A, a to Z, as Jim Harbaugh put it on Monday, uh, it's been it's been an abysmal showing from the offense so far. And what's going on with the defense? They gave up 35 points to Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor, and although he's arguably the best running back in the nation, he ran all over Michigan. Obviously, you know, they lost a lot to the draft on the defensive side, and the group has struggled this year. Why do you think that is for the Don Brown-led defensive unit? Is it just because they lost some real stars, or is there something else going on for why that defensive grouping has really struggled? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I, I really think in those first two games of the year, the defense had allowed, I believe, well, it was whatever. Most of the scores that that defense had allowed was on short fields after the offense turned the ball over. So really, first and foremost, and even you could say that to a certain extent about Saturday's game at Wisconsin, is that it's a defense that's being asked to do too much right now because your offense is incompetent. Um, you know, I think that losing the guys that they did, Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, Devin Bush, David Long, I mean, those are all guys that were either round one or round two or three draft picks, and and they don't they don't have that star power right there, and and they are young, and, and there were going to be growing pains there. And you thought that maybe uh, an improved offense would help them kind of offset that a little bit, um, but the defense, for whatever reason, whenever they go up against uh, Don Brown, their defensive coordinator, their mo against teams that kind of have the ability to push them around and and use their aggressiveness against them, uh, it, it hasn't gone very well for them. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's gut check time for those guys. Uh, you know, they had There were a couple plays on Saturday where, I mean, two of the guys that they had playing defensive tackle at times on Saturday, one was a converted fullback, and the other one was a guy who's like a safety linebacker hybrid that they lined up in there. So they don't have the depth on the interior of the defensive line, which, you know, in my opinion – 
I'm kind of old school in that in the way of thinking that like your defense is going to revolve around the push you get from the guys in the middle, the guys who can eat up blocks and open things up for everyone else. And uh, they don't have anyone that's proven they can do that yet. They have a couple of talented freshmen that maybe we'll see get some run this weekend. But right now they just don't have – they don't have anyone that is the straw that stirs the drink, so to speak, and their coaching is doing them no favors. So this offense, it's really struggled to run the ball. You know, they have over 400, maybe 450 yards on the ground through the first three games, but I believe more than half of that came in the first game against Middle Tennessee. We saw Wisconsin really shut down that aspect of the Michigan offense. Why has moving the ball on the ground been such a struggle for the Wolverines this season? Yeah, well, they did a pretty, they did a decent job of it against Middle Tennessee, and like you said, that's where most of that came from. Um, I think the concerning thing is, and I sort of hit on this, you have a, an offensive line that has two juniors, or I'm sorry, one junior, two seniors, and a fifth-year senior um, at four of those spots, and they're all all Big Ten caliber guys, and they're just not, they not, they're not very tough, they're not very physical right now, they're not moving bodies around, and that's. Um, they got to give these backs some holes to run through. Uh, Army, I mean, Army is the type of defense where they're going to send pressure on, you know, 85, 90% of their defensive snaps and fill those gaps. And it you know, makes it hard to run the football, which, again, we're talking about coaching doing a team more favors or no favors. Michigan, at, at a point in the second half of that game, ran the ball 14 straight times. So it's, you're not getting the production you need to get out of them. But your coaching is also is it's been abysmal. It's not been good. It's, in fact, it's been even in you know a year in 2017 where Michigan went eight and five. At least that you know they just didn't have the horses to get it done, and they didn't have a quarterback. It was a young team. This team has plenty of talent, and it has proven talent. And, and right now, like it is, you know, if there's a switch to be flipped, right now it's flipped off and with the you know a, a piece of tape over it no one's been able to flip that switch yet and that's uh that's concerning a couple more anthony before i let you go you know i began uh asking about the overall mood in ann arbor after the lopsided loss to wisconsin and obviously the schedule is just as tough moving forward with i believe four or five ranked teams coming up to end the year and of course ohio state to finish it off you know during his time at michigan jim harbaugh and you mentioned it has obviously struggled against ranked opponents and struggled against ohio state if the rank losses continue, do you think Jim Harbaugh's seat could start to get a little warm and maybe his critics, they can start to get a little louder and louder as the season progresses? Yeah, I mean, I don't, right now, I don't think the critics have ever been louder um, because, now, mind you, it was one of those things where I think a lot of people could stomach going into Wisconsin and losing, you know, losing that game. But you had to compete. You had to look ready to play. You had to be in for a fight. And there was no fight, no fire or anything. And that kind of has everyone, at least, I mean, it seems like everyone's kind of on high alert right now. And they know that, you know, you only get so many of these per year and you have to, um, you have to find a way to push through it. And right now, I mean, based on the team we've seen through three weeks, can I sit here and say that this team will go to Penn State and win despite what we might think about Penn State? No, I can't say that. They still have Notre Dame, Michigan State, Ohio State. Now, mind you, they're all at home, but um, Notre Dame was a playoff team last year. Ohio State, probably, there's a good chance they might be a playoff team this year. Michigan State, that Michigan game is always the biggest game on their schedule. And, and regardless of how they might look 
on any given week, they will always be ready to play that game. So those are four games right there. I can't pick them to win any of those four games right now. And quite frankly, like uh, Iowa comes to town next week for homecoming. I'm not even sure I can pick them to beat Iowa right now. So that's, when we start talking about there might be four, five, six more games in the schedule that there's a chance they might lose, that's concerning. And if they lose, you know, know, if this is a team that goes eight and four or less, yeah, the hot seat's going to get very warm. Uh, Now, if they go nine and three, but then this offense starts to click later in the year, and you're like, okay, there might be something here. I don't know. I mean, it's not, you know, there's so many scenarios in play. I mean, there was even two weeks ago after what happened against Army, I could have never told you that I thought what was going to happen at Wisconsin happened, but it did. And so I think everything's kind of on the table right now. I don't think, I really do think the bottom would have to fall out and this would have to be a six or seven win football team for Harbaugh to be gone like this year. But if they only win eight or nine games, yeah, I think that it's time to start having that conversation. Um, and, and, it's not a wait till next year thing, but it's uh if if they come out slow out of the gates next year, like I think you've pretty much seen all you need to see. And I, I really to this point, with all the big games that they still have left, I think by the time this year is done, you will have seen what you needed to see in terms of what the future of this program is. Anthony, last one. You know, both teams obviously coming off tough losses. Michigan, like we said, a heavy favorite. What do you think ends up as the final score? Do you think Michigan ends up covering that opening 29-point spread? I mean, they've hardly showed an ability to even score 29 points, let alone um, <laughs> let alone beat someone by that much. I think, and maybe, maybe I'm just a dummy. Maybe I'm an, an optimist. But um, I think that there's a chance that we see a really angry Michigan team this weekend, and we do see them start to execute a bit. Um, and I guess it kind of come, you know, it comes down to what does like, will Rutgers be afraid of this team? And if they're not, which I really think that given how things have gone the first couple weeks of the year, and regardless of how Rutgers has played, if they come into the big house ready for a fight, ready to push a team around, um, we haven't seen that Michigan is able to um, kind of hold their end of a, of the bargain in a fight yet. So, not that's not to say Rutgers will win. Because I think Michigan probably wins this game on talent alone, but if Rutger, if Rutgers comes into play and they're they're kind of show no fear and they're ready to get a little bit physical, I'm really going to be interested in seeing where it goes from there. So I, I think my gut says that they will cover that spread, but I've been wrong a lot about this team so far earlier this year. So who who knows? Who's to say? The site producer for the University of Michigan's SB Nation site, Maze and Brew, Anthony Broom. Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and giving me some of your time to talk Wolverines football. Of course, anytime. I want to thank Aaron and Anthony for coming on the podcast. It's really interesting how Jim Harbaugh has gone from being looked at as the savior at Michigan to now someone who people question whether he will ever get this program to that next level. He hasn't done well in big games. The program has struggled offensively. He struggled to develop a quarterback, and most importantly for Michigan, this program is clearly a notch below Ohio State right now. For Rutgers, the rest of the season, until a move is made, we will constantly be discussing something I think is inevitable. If the decision to move away from Chris Ash is made, who will lead this program going forward? 
You know, I know some may disagree with my opinion, and I certainly welcome that disagreement. You know, we all have our own opinions. We all have our own beliefs on who the next head coach should be, and that's okay. I may be wrong when push comes to shove, and if I am, I'm certainly not going to run away from my error. And frankly, whoever Pat Hobbs brings in if a move is made, I'll support. I think we should all support whoever has chosen to lead this program in the long term. Because at the end of the day, we don't care who is brought in. We care about winning. We care about whoever the coach is taking Rutgers football and making it relevant again in a positive way. We care about significant progress. We Rutgers fans care about this program even if we disagree with it at times. We just want to see success. Sustained, consistent, successful football here on the Banks. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.